at the opening of Kitchen Power, a wonderful exhibition in the National Museum of Country Life in Mayo, a group of women shared their memories. Didn't get electricity until I was left school too. So because we were out the country, my mother used to have to heat water out in the shed. She had a barrel with sawdust and uh, the water would be on it just for the washing, you know. The images they evoke are striking. I remember the, 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 the first thing we had was one light and the switch being turned on was the, the big thing. We all had our turn. You know. These women remember when the light bulb was cutting-edge technology and now they have smartphones. That is a lot of change. Oh, huge changes. Huge changes. You're talking about from the very basics to the smartphone. That's an expense of time that you just couldn't imagine the changes. This is Mary Theresa Cohn, one of the countrywomen who will share her story with you. And this is the story of the lived experience of the older countrywomen. That evokes a certain clichéd image in your mind, doesn't it? Maybe it's a thatched cottage, an old woman wearing a wraparound apron, maybe sitting on a rocking chair knitting. Do you see them as businesswomen? Activists, women with independent means. Do you think of them as part of the women's movement? And what of the organisations that represent these women, such as the ICA, the Irish Country Women's Association? Do you associate them with campaigns, women's rights, education, enterprise? Most of us don't. Mama MacDonald, now in her 90s, was the national president of the ICA, from 1982 to 1985. Now, the perception of the ICA is not that. The perception of the ICA is making scones and jam. Yes, I know that. And that is something that we we rail against all the time. But even if you make scones and jam, like I had a, a journalist say to me one day, I went to a guild wanting to talk about changing the world. What did I finish up doing? Being asked to judge a jam-making competition. And I said, and are jam-making and changing the world mutually exclusive? When you have listened to these women share their stories of their lives and the changes that they have lived through, and if you really listen to them, I think you will start to see them as the change-makers, the adapters, the innovators, the experts, the businesswomen as well as the jam makers and bakers. These are the women who began their lives in homes with no electricity or running water. Mary lives in Gort, County Galway. Yeah, I live in Gort, but I'm from a rural parish called Peterswell, uh, east of Gort. When I was in primary school, uh, we were walking uh, four miles to school. We walked in the summertime with no shoes. We... We all went without shoes. This is Eleanor Callanan from West Cork. No, you'd be the odd one out if you had them. Yeah, in the wintertime then we'd be saying, how long can we keep going in the frost without putting them on? You've just be frozen. And that's when I saw the poles being drawn into the fields off the road uh, where the lorry would drop them uh, back in the 50s when they were connecting starting to connect the people to the electricity supply. My parents were farmers. There were seven of us in the family. 
No bathroom. No electricity. Very basic stuff. Open fire. Bastable for baking the cakes. Uh, it's a pot that you hung over the fire. The cake went into it. And you buy the spuds in the same way. The bacon. Bacon and cabbage, I suppose, was a table diet. We all did jobs. We had to milk the cows before we went to school in the morning. Everybody had to milk by hand. There was no getting out of it. You did turning the turf in the evening or the hay. Or everybody just mucked and did what they had to do. Cleaned out the houses. You worked hard. Yeah, but you just did it and there was no saying I won't. Just got on with it. Women like Mamo, Mary and Eleanor and the other women you will meet... Their lives span the generations from 1930s to now. The Rural Electrification Scheme, which brought electricity for the first time to over one and a half million people in Ireland, began in 1946 and ran on till 1965. So it is very much part of their living memory. But uh, the brightness of the light, I will never forget that. That time, some people only choose to get one bulb one light in the house, nothing else. And, um, like, people were very cautious about it and uh, about signing up to allow it to come into the house. And uh, my father and uh, other neighbours as well would have said, oh, well, we'll see how we get on with the lights. This is Connie McAvoy from Termin Fecken, County Louth. Um, but then a year later, they decided we would get... Uh, plugs or sockets in and we got an electric iron and a, a Murphy Richards kettle and a, a, a radio. But that was all we had. <laughs> the radio for the matches. <laughs> Instead of the battery one that they used to have. I remember that when we were young. Can I give my maiden name? My name is Mary Quirk. Mary's married name is Murphy and she's from County Carlow. But it was wonderful and the first thing we ever got was an electric kettle. That was mainly, you know, there weren't, nobody had anything in those. There was no one going to run away and women had to stay put and you minded your children and that was it. And they had large families which were reared in houses with no running water or electricity. Dr Saoirse O'Brien is a design historian. She was one of the curators behind Kitchen Power and her area of research is the impact of rural electrification on women's lives. Because what the one word that has come up all the time in my research is about drudgery. That housework was constant drudgery at the time. If you didn't have electricity, you're cooking on an open fire, you're having to light the fire in the morning, you want to have a cup of tea remember that most people didn't have running water in their houses. So you're talking about getting water from a well or from a pump and trying to heat it on an open fire then. We're washing clothes in a basin with a scrubbing board. It's really, really hard manual work. And also if you're talking about families where you can have anything up to four children and nappies at the same time, cloth nappies. Nobody's got disposable nappies at this point. And this is one thing that a lot of people have said about washing machines, that they were the object that cut out most of the hard work because you didn't have to be sitting there with a scrubbing board and scrubbing clothes. And these innovative women also found other uses for the washing machine. 
And um, then I remember getting a washing machine and my mother used to make butter in the washing machine then. She's called the washing machine. It was the same thing because it was rotating and uh, made everything very much easier. Rural electrification is a well-documented part of the modernisation of rural Ireland. But the role women played in this is not as well known. Mary E. Daly, Professor Emeritus of UCD History. And an awareness, I mean, there's a whole literature about the absence of farm wives, the flight of the girls, the fact that there's all these bachelors and nobody will marry them with good reason, I think. Uh, And the feeling is that one of the things that needs to be addressed is the material discomfort of of life in, in, in rural Ireland and various ways to bring modernity into rural Ireland. So that that is that is something that's going on in, in from from about the end of World War Two onwards. Oh, that, talk to me a little bit about the role women had in it. Oh well I I, I think the campaign particularly for water and but to and indeed for, for electrification, those those were women led. I mean the the farmers themselves were much more concerned about the fact that a rural water scheme would come on that would be on the rates and they'd be paying the rates. And really, you know, their concern, their concern to have running water in the kitchen, a bathroom and so on, that was, was quite frankly often very limited. It was not really seen as a priority to get water and electricity into the house for the women doing the household chores. But she was, she well fit to carry a few buckets, you know, and they might put one light in in the kitchen and that was it. We had a very strong campaign in ICA because the ICA, they're a really interesting group where they're very much and have been historically very much about trying to improve the conditions of life for women in the countryside in Ireland. And a lot of that is they have an awful lot of social activities, they do an awful lot of crafts, but also in the 1950s and 60s, they were really, really got behind the ESB campaign to try and bring electricity to the countryside because they could see the benefit that it would have for their members. It's all the things I've been talking about, about, you know, reducing the drudgery, the housework. One of the things that was going on was they were trying to convince the younger women that if you got a proposal from a farmer. They used to tell the unmarried women not to marry a farmer unless he put in electricity in the whole house. (laughs) Yeah. And the ESP acknowledged the help of the of the women. And as part of that, I mean, the ICA had a couple of women. Uh, one was one was actually my father's first cousin, Margaret Crowley, so I, I know this quite well, went round Ireland driving this caravan which had a complete purpose-built kitchen in it and everything, very modern, and using that to go into rural communities, to ICA guilds. I mean, the reality was she was going into places where she couldn't have got proper facilities to show off these things. So she, she had her whole, her whole travelling demo thing in this caravan, yeah. There was this woman driving this around, this is in the late 50s, driving, driving this around Ireland, crossing the border with it, you know, in the middle of the Troubles. She was once stopped by the Beast Specials. I think she offered them tea or something like that. Or she could take on anything. <laughs> I suspect most of these women could take on anything. The electrical demonstrators who worked into the 1970s and some even as far as the early 80s, in addition to going around Ireland doing public demonstrations, also visited homes. They go out to people's houses after you make a large purchase, like an electric cooker, which would have been, you know, could have been £100 or something like that. And they would make an appointment to come in with the woman of the house because it's 
at this time, it was pretty much always the woman that was at home and was responsible for cooking and cleaning and running the household and looking after children so that the demonstrator would come in, would spend a morning with the, the woman who's just bought an electric cooker and they would cook something on the cooker together. They would use that as a way, first of all, checking that the cooker was installed correctly and everything was working okay but also then on making sure that the woman was confident in using it if they had any questions about how this really sort of fairly high-tech object worked that they could talk to another woman about it they're a female expert you know they're a female technical expert it was seen as a really exciting job to have so you had to be able to travel around in the countryside so they got a car which if you're 25 in 1960 is amazing um, and they're very, very glamorous actually. The other female technical experts that were working at the time were poultry advisors. In a lot of ways and I think the poultry women are very similar on that front that they've got a high level of knowledge about this specific area. Poultry advisors visited farms working with the women to enhance their poultry business. You see, egg money gave women independent means. Egg money is a term used traditionally to describe the money earned from selling various things produced by the farm, such as eggs and butter. I mean, the point you need to bear in mind is that women were expected to try and bring in some, some income if they could and to keep the family afloat. And, um, you know, women did it in various ways, childminding, knitting, uh, sewing, various, various activities like that. And poultry raising would have been seen as one for the women. The Munster Institute, Model Farm Road, Cork, which was established in 1881, was the first dairy institute to teach female students in Ireland and Britain and was the only training college in Ireland for poultry instructors. Mary applied at the age of 20 to train as a poultry instructor and in the 1960s the demand was high for this course. But anyway, we had to do an interview, a written exam and an oral exam to get into the Munster Institute. And I went, we were, went up to Dublin and not knowing how to get anywhere because we were never out. We were so, so naive. I remember going into this uh, big, big, huge, big lecture hall or whatever you call it, absolutely crammed with people doing this written exam. There was only 14 places in Ireland at the time to qualify for a poultry instructors. Mary and Maura did get into the Munster Institute to train as poultry instructors. My name is Maura McLaughlin. Uh, I'm a poultry instructor, retired now. I was in the Munster Institute in the early 60s. Training was good, if a bit intense now and a bit <laughs> severe at times. But, um, yeah, we learned a lot from it. Uh, yeah, it was, it was very strict, all right, no doubt about it. Do you know, that was one thing about the Munster Institute. We had friends for life absolutely. and we have absolutely, and we still have them. Yes. Do you know what? The camaraderie we made and we were a different breed. <laughs> that breed aren't there anymore. Wonderful. Isn't that true, Mara? Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. The course, the, the course that we did was entitled uh, what you came out in the end with, an instructor in poultry keeping and butter making. Now, on the poultry keeping, that was straightforward. It was all about poultry keeping. The butter making, uh, that along with that, you did cheese making and uh, dairy management. What types of cheeses were you making? Well, we had a whole range of cheeses. The one that spring to mind carefully, uh, Port Salou, Gouda. Um, cheddar. This is in the 1960s, 
I think it was the late 1990s before I knew anything other than cheddar and calvita. And these women were making artisan cheeses. One of the hopes on graduation was to become a county advisor. To get into a county in those days was the ultimate in the job. Oh, it was seen as a great job. They had a car. I mean, that was wonderful. (laughs) But uh, they were all kind of appeared to be rich and having a great time and, you know. Mary and Maura graduated and they got their dream job. Mary was based in Kildare and Maura in Cork. And this meant they got a car. My first car was um, an Austin A40, a maroon colour, BIC 153. I was in heaven. And then my brothers, two of my brothers brought down the car from Carlo down to the Munster Institute for me. Didn't know how to drive and I had to go and learn how to drive in a week. Oh, a week. I drove home, would you believe it? I drove those two boys home at 10 miles an hour. Should have thought After that, just in a, a week of learning? Well, it must, wasn't much more. Did you have to do a test? That's a tall test. And when you were a poultry instructor, you must have had to look smart going around. Well, we did. We were, yeah. Yeah, well, we had money then, you see. And you could buy... I remember my first cheque and I had no clothes. £10 would go forever that time. You'd have change out of it. And I went into town and that bought a suit and, and shoes and everything... And then I had red leather gloves, God help us, and a red bag. I felt the berries, and that suit lasted me forever afterwards. They drove around the county, feeling the berries, working with country women to develop their poultry business. I visited a country women. They'd ring up the office saying their chickens were sick or their turkeys were sick, and you'd go out and you'd look at them and you'd uh, diagnose and prescribe some medicine for them, medication, and... Um, and give lectures to the ICA at night time and um, attend shows and judge at shows, uh, rural shows. That was mainly my job, really, you know. And it was a great job to have, you know, going around and going around to all the people and the lovely country women. And I must say, they were lovely. And they were, they'd give you eggs going away and they'd give you, have a big feed for you when you'd arrive. And God, we were treated like lords and ladies. And uh, the women would love to see you coming because they would love to talk to you about their problems and stuff like that. And you get to know them very well. Mm. You really do. Egg money was crucial for the women they worked with. That income stream was often the only money that the woman might directly control herself. So it could be used, could be put away to pay towards the, a child's education. It could be used to improve conditions in the home. Uh, it could be, you know, it could be used for diverse purposes, but it's pretty central to the to the life of the family. You see, in farming, the income was only after the harvest. The harvest was the... And then if they had cows, there'd be an income from the milk check every month and they had to budget in between. And there wouldn't have been enough less spare money. So egg production would be a big thing for the for the women, you know, and to sell the eggs and to get money from that. Well, I would certainly relate to the egg money because my own mother used to have the egg money. The men used to come around and collect the eggs every Tuesday and then that egg money would be for groceries or for odds and ends. As Eleanor says, this was the woman's own money. It was her money. But like, that's quite a big thing because when you're talking about that, what kind of era are you saying? I'm talking, I was born in 1951 say, 50s, 60s, there was no money in the country. Nobody had money. Uh, we were always advised never to put all our eggs, so to speak, in one basket. So uh, <laughs> all commodities that we could 
introduced on the farm, depending on the land, uh, were called on, and we all worked that way. So, but uh, there was always some money either from pigs or from cattle, or from uh, butter, or whatever that Mom let go back into the running of the farm. But she always had the egg money, and so had all the other women that I knew. <laughs> my aunties, my grandparents, my grandmothers. <laughs> and yourself? And myself, and who was never questioned, to be honest. But was your independent? It was. Oh, well, we were independent enough now. <laughs> we were always able to stand, because we did a lot of the work uh, otherwise as well on the farm, you know. So um, the women um, milked the cows, Cleaned out cow sheds. They did everything. You know, uh, pitched hay. I did that. My mother did it. You know, we did everything. So There's two other groups that need to be talked about. We're kind of talking about married women all the time. A large number of single, unmarried women, um, uh, who, because one, one adult and four and are never married, you see, this age 45, and they weren't cohabiting, I hasten to add. And some of those would have also been backbones of households and uh, businesses. So there, there's a diversity of life experiences for women. and The second group were widows. Widows. There was about three widows for every widower in Ireland in 1960 because women tended to marry an older man. A lot of women ended up as the widow running the farm, running the business, keeping the household together, keeping raising the children. My dad died when I was 10 and my youngest brother was four. My dad died in 57, 1957, and my mum didn't die until 2003. Mm -hmm. And she was quite 20 years younger than him anyway, you know, when they married. So she had to wear those children? She had. Like a cliche, never until I had children of my own. What it had been like for her, I don't know. My mum, and it was actual egg money, there was a guy in Gort and they used to call him the Eggman and she would not give him the eggs because he wouldn't give her what she'd get some other way. My mother used to cycle 22 miles into Galway City and she would bring rhubarb on the back of her bike in a box and her eggs in baskets. There are all kinds of stories about remarkably resourceful widows who did keep family businesses alive in provincial towns who who would have directed the farm. And then when my father uh, died, we had cows and they used to send milk to the creamery. And we lived in off the road. The lorry wouldn't come down our road. It was a little boring. And a neighbour made a three-wheel trolley and she used to put the 10-gallon can up on it, empty, put the milk into it and bring it out to the head of the road. She'd pull it with a long T-bar handle on it. These were strong women who ran businesses, kept farms going and managed family life. I think your mum regarded herself as a businesswoman. All, she and all her counterparts regarded themselves as businesswomen. So they, um, they, knew, they knew a lot about uh, running businesses in those days, and they were trained by their mothers. But on an official level and statistically, the work done by these women was not counted. These women were the invisible workforce in rural Ireland. The role that rural women played 
in the development of rural Ireland, I don't think was mm-hmm. notable. No, it wasn't. I mean, if you look at the statistics, it's really only, I think, in the 1990s that this, that this the census starts collecting proper data on on farm on women farmers and farm women and so on like that. I mean, they're hidden from all the the statistics. Farm wives would never have been counted as as economically productive people in the census. This is very much at odds with the life stories of these women who were brought up on farms with no electricity, walking to school in their bare feet, working hard to improve life for their families and communities. And life did improve considerably with the introduction of electricity. But when the lights went on, it's not like they all headed off to play golf. Because part of the narrative from the advertisements is often that, you know, you can get an an electric appliance and it means you can go off and play golf or play tennis or have more time for yourself. But what was actually happening is that people were, that women were still at home. They were knitting jumpers. They were making clothes. And a lot of the time it was keeping, you know, seven, eight, ten children clothed. But also, particularly places like the West of Ireland, you'd have people making iron jumpers as piecework and as an extra income. So it's in the same category as the egg money. I knitted for money for Stondones of Spiddle, which was uh, they used to have a lot of um, the stuff that the Yanks would buy. And I knitted iron sweaters to make money, to have extra. This was your egg money? Uh, Yeah. Exactly. My mother had the egg money for real, but I didn't have any hens when I was got married. We got married in 68, madly in love, <laughs> got married and had a house full of kids. Nothing different about me and any other Irish woman <laughs> of the time. <laughs> and uh... Knitting and sewing became a business for Mary to keep her family going. I bought a machine when we got married and I decided this was something I could do at home. I started to do alterations. My husband was out of work the 25th of March, 81, and my youngest son of seven children was born that day. Did that in a small way because I was busy anyway, but I also worked uh, um, as in a, in a restaurant part-time. Um, because when my husband did get work in 83, it was going out of the country. So I had to be at home and I had to be able to do what I needed to do at home. People used to say, how in the name of God could you rear them on your own? And you couldn't give them to the neighbours either, so you couldn't. So I had no choice. And we didn't even think about it. Young, sure, I was 21 when I got married and... We were just happy-go-looking. We loved music. Uh, that's where the radio came in, when we could get Radio Luxembourg. And that would be the first pop music we would have heard. I do. I do indeed, and I love Buddy Holly. Absolutely. Remember, these were young women, listening to their pop music on the radio, getting on with their lives, always adapting. When the egg money started to run out in the late 60s and early 70s, these country women went on to train for something else. By which time then poultry was going into the big units that we know now and we hadn't yet got back into the free-range, organic uh, dimension. And at that stage they became farm home advisors and they moved into a more diverse role. Uh, poultry uh, instructors, as you see, had, yeah. had um, more contact with the country women and that is why 
poultry instructresses were invited to do this home management course. Yes. So to influence the women in making improvements, I'd say, in the home. Planning the layout of a kitchen for mm. people in the country, you know, and they'd be doing up their house mm. and they'd call you out and say, what, which way will I lay out my kitchen here? Mm. All that kind of stuff. That was lovely. And um, interior decoration, making curtains. We had to show, and I had loads of, uh, showed, I, I see loads of women that bring in their own material and they'd have their measurements and I showed them how to cut them out and make curtains. They were delighted with me. And um, making jam and preserving food and deep freezing was starting to come into being in those days. And sure, it was a fascination. Trying to help women to build more comfortable homes. And then the other thing that that gets you into is things like doing farmhouse holidays, B&Bs and so on. So that role evolved into a more diverse... They realised poultry was not going to be it in future. So it, it evolved into more diverse say, forms of second income streams. Yeah. And indeed in the farm as well. Yes. Uh, because a lot of what you did was the farm accounts and starting That's to right, keep farm accounts, farm accounts yeah. that the women did that. This is in the early years and getting to keep the records. Where that becomes quite important when we go into the EEC in 73, uh, you have to begin to keep things like farm accounts and so on like that because to qualify for certain payments, uh, these things matter. And, you know, when, when all this starts, the person who often keeps pieces of paperwork in order, applies for the farm modernisation scheme, applies for the various grant schemes that are around. That's the woman. They assume quite an important role there. I love that part of it. Yeah, things had changed a lot then and there were a lot of improvements in farmhouses. But things were changing yes. for women as well. Oh, women's yes. Women's movement were coming in and feminism. Mm-hmm. And did you consider yourselves part of that? Consider myself what? Part of that women's movement and being a feminist. Well, I would, well no, I wouldn't say I was really, no, but I was delighted to see people happy and doing things what they wanted to do. And I was doing the things that I liked doing as well. I much preferred the home management to the poultry. I must say more I kept on to the poultry. But um, but you were a career woman. I was, I was. In the 60s, which was unusual. Oh, it was very unusual. It was very unusual now. Having poultry instructors around for a long time, we they were allowed for a long in the country, mm-hmm. um, and I suppose we didn't see ourselves breaking the mold now or anything when we came out because mm-hmm. there, this was a this was a service long established, long established. Maura and Mary may not have considered themselves breaking the mold, but remember this is the late sixties, early seventies in Ireland. There was a lot of groundbreaking to be done. The Irish Women's Liberation Movement was just starting. At this stage, there was no divorce, no access to contraception. The marriage bar was still in place, which meant for a lot of women, they had to give up their work when they got married. And that included the farm home advisors. Also Mary Cohn, who, before she got married in 1968, was working in Ennis as a psychiatric nurse. But she had to give it up. And the marriage bar, thanks to Mr. De Valera and John Charles McQuaid, all of their thinking back when the new state was formed. And we couldn't go back. Certain people couldn't go back. Um, and how did you feel about that? I didn't even think about it at the time. Uh, also at the time, education opportunities were limited, especially for women. I, but you see, education, it goes back to education as well. Like years ago, people 
didn't go past primary school and their women's place was in the home, didn't Dave say it and their bishop and uh, uh, but uh, there could be no question really of third level I would love to have gone to university uh, at that stage but What would you have liked to have done then? I, well I, I dreamt about architecture I dreamt about writing uh, I, you know the, these were the sort of things uh, I had uh, or journalism I, I loved to write uh, but uh, it went in the back burner and stayed at the back burner until I was 70. At which point Mamo got the opportunity to study under an EU cross-border programme. Where group uh, women from north and south of the border came together to study women's studies. I did that and then I did my master's. And I just loved, I spent three years in UCD and I loved every moment of it. What age were you when you did that? I graduated at 73. Determination and strength are the words that come to mind when I listen to these women. Oh, we were trained, we were brought up to be independent from from the time we could walk. We were all brought up to be independent. Women, did you see yourselves as part of the women's movement at the time? No, none of us did. None of us did, really. I think I was more looking at the community, then feminism. One of the ways the women served the community was through their involvement with the ICA, a really important outlet for country women. Well, the ICA was very important to my mother and my grandmother and, and myself. What drew me to it? Uh, I think it was a sense of community, really, for something for the women in my area, you know, to give them something. I suppose an outlet. A lot of women don't meet anyone during the week. And it was a meeting place. It was the ICA was very good for interaction with women. And at different ages, there would have been a much older group now when I joined uh, that time. But now quite a lot of younger people. I mean, I'm the older one ones now. And the ICA itself... Um, they would have been, some of them would be very vocal and very good for on women's rights. You know, different issues. I, I mean, I do think we've, we've too narrow a view of women's movements in Ireland and um, I think this is one that has to change. The role of the ICA has to be brought into stories and yes, they are, they are pretty, they're a very significant bunch and they would have been politically significant. I had been sort of working in the whole area of women's lives uh, all my life. You know, I joined the ICA when I was 17 in Croom when uh, uh, there wasn't a lot to do in Croom from leisure point of view. You could play tennis in the summer, but in the wintertime. So I joined the ICA and found I enjoyed the company of women. And so then... uh, I married and there wasn't any guild in Clonus. And a guild started nine years and six babies after. Nine years and six babies? Yes, yes. (laughs) And I joined straight away there. 
and it gave me wings because you learned so much. You you were on such a learning curve. You know, you learned how to keep minutes and how to look after money and how to plan campaigns and to do local activity. And it's, it's very good for educating women in how to 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 run things. And the majority of our women at that time certainly would not have been educated, would not have got farther than than the age of thirteen or fourteen in a primary school. And this was a whole new world for them. They were learning so much. The ICA was the first organisation in Ireland to provide access to adult education. The ICA provided training in a number of subjects, particularly crafts. You could also do your teacher training with the ICA. Eleanor ran adult training programmes in crafts all over Ireland. Her love of crafts and education came from her time in the ICA. No, but your access to education, training education started there, didn't it? It did. I suppose my wanting to improve myself and improve others. In 2008, I started a master's degree. I got my master's in management in 2010 from UCC. Connie also ran training programmes. And she went on into publishing, producing articles and crafts. Designed for four or five British magazines, an Australian one. Uh, all sorts of uh, crafts. And you still do them? Yeah, I'm, but I only I only work for one magazine now, and that's Senior Times, because they take stories and crafts and they do everything on my terms. In addition to the educational opportunities provided by the ICA, the ICA's history, which was founded in 1910 and originally known as the United Irish Women, includes the setting up of the country shop and the country markets, the forerunner to the Crafts Council. They also uh, were part of uh, the formation of the Credit Union, uh, of Faroiga. And uh, some people think it's, ah, that's for all women. You know, they, they don't see actually what happens at all. They only see it as, oh, that's a group for old women there. They don't see it as, those old women are contributing a lot to society. If you only knew about it. The ICA was and almost certainly still is Ireland's largest women's organisation. And yet if you read material on women's movements, I mean, they'd be lucky to get one line in it. And, like, I was furious at the end of my course in in UCD when, when our lecturer was listing all the organisations for women that started up at the beginning of the 20th century. And uh, at the end, I said, but where, where are the women from the cooperative movement? And she said, you mean the United Irish Women who became the ICA? I said, yes. And she said, oh, no, she says, we don't include them because they were concerned only with the domestic. Hold on a minute now, I said. Hold on a minute indeed. Yes. They are concerned with the domestic. So am I. I'm a homemaker, a mother. I make scones and jam. Does that make me any less of a feminist? These women I met were change makers. They dedicated their lives to running their farms, their homes, their businesses. 
And as Connie says, we really just see them as a group of old women. Which is as much about changing our attitudes towards old age as it is about appreciating the diversity within the women's movement. Challenging attitudes towards old people and countrywomen has been a lifelong focus of MAMO. Well, that's, that grew from my involvement with ICA because after my term of office as president, a few years afterwards, and we started Age and Opportunity. And that was Catherine Rose and myself uh, got that going. And uh, Why did you feel that so important? Because, uh, well, I saw that there was a lot of work to be done in the line of older people to change to change older people's attitudes about themselves. Well, all our attitudes, we have many ageist things. When you see somebody with one of these, call them wheelie, my wheelie. They call them rollators, I think is the correct name. You think of them as being old and disabled. And that becomes their identity. And, like, you're a lot more than that. You know, I have have a poem. I am a woman of age. I've been a toddler, a sweetheart, a wife. Mother to many, granny to more. I am a baker of bread, a sore of seams, a singer of songs, a weaver of tales, a a dreamer of dreams. But all they see is I am a woman of age. Did you write that poem? I did, yeah. Yeah. But... uh, Did you call yourselves feminists? They do since I was about. Because I was as conservative as anyone. I started off a conservative and thought these, this radical women's organisation was... Oh, I thought the Nell McCafferty would have cloven feet, like, you know. And then I met her and heard her speak, and I thought she was very articulate, she was very funny. And uh, I was also admiring of the, a lot of the things the radical women were doing. They were going along a different path the path we were going but they had they had echoes of one another and uh, I became a born again feminist (laughs) (laughs) because you didn't see yourselves as part of the women's movement the ICA they didn't no but we did. Be. I claimed our place in it because we were part of the wider women's movement because we were working for women. And they did spend their lives working for women. These old country women are creatives, entrepreneurs and activists. And they were doing all of this long before those terms were heard of. They are country women who worked all of their lives to improve the lives of their families and communities. Like their mothers and grandmothers did, they got on with changing their worlds, as well as making jam. Egg Money is a curious broadcast production, 
funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. Produced and narrated by Patricia Baker, edit and final mix, Jerry Horn, Contact Studio.